Hi, this is Todd Lloyd, the host of the Little Kids Big Hearts Podcast. On last week's episode, celebrating our differences, I was joined by Makita Mays Green. When she's not traveling via imaginary dragon boat to the land of Kukamakas, Makita is the Senior Vice President of Digital and Cultural Consumer Insights at Nickelodeon. Together with Dr. Colleen Russo-Johnson, she researched how families of different backgrounds perceive and experience race and racism and talk about it with their children. Their survey of more than 15,000 families and in-depth interviews with more than 50 parent-child pairs inspired the creation of Discussing Race with Young Children, a step-by-step activity guide. It's a new tool for the parents and educators of young children. Makita and Colleen stuck around after the episode to discuss their research and the guide in this special bonus episode. We know from their research that most of us, of all races, feel uncomfortable talking about these topics with children. I hope our new episode and this bonus interview will give parents and caregivers new insights that will help spark meaningful conversations. Parents, have a listen on your own first before sharing with your kids. All right. Hello, Makita and Colleen. Hello, Todd. Hello. <laughs> it's great to get the chance to talk to you today. Uh, you, uh, you're both researchers professionally. But I've heard that this research is rooted in your own racial identities and roles as mothers. Could you start by telling us a little bit about the origin story of the research? Yes. Well, Mickey and I have known each other for years, and this all started from a conversation that we had together uh, about three years ago. And uh, we were talking about the different, you know, experiences of the racism uh, that Makita has with her family on a day-to-day basis. And it, I just felt horrible. As her friend, I felt so helpless. I felt like all I could do was sit there and listen with an open heart and and be someone that she could come to and talk to. But I felt like we need to do, we need to do uh, more than this. And uh, then shortly after was when George Floyd was murdered. And there are suddenly a lot of messages out that, you know, we should talk to kids about race and racism uh, at young ages and that no age is too young. But as a mother myself with a one and two year old, I didn't know where to start with talking to my young children about race and racism. So I started doing a lot of research um, on, and reading on my own. But ultimately, this led to Miki and I uh, working together on a research study. I think there's a, um, a lot of uh, parents that have uh, the same kinds of questions that uh, you were asking yourself, Colleen. Uh, yeah, Mikita. So interesting to connect as moms and as professionals in this industry. And like Colleen said, you know, she has, she has her beautiful children at home. I have my beautiful children at home. I happen to have two boys and a daughter. And we were talking, reconnecting years ago was shortly after the murder of Ahmad Arbery and both of us were so frustrated by what we were experiencing and not only having to confront the reality of of these times but also you know my kids were certainly of the age in which they were asking questions and expecting a response and I think in that initial conversation, I remember it so vividly where Colleen could sense my frustration and we had this shared sense of hurt and a strong desire to not just talk about it, but do something about it. And this research was born. Yeah, that that's what I really uh, loved about the guide um, is helping, I think, families have an entry point into uh, 
these types of conversations. Can you describe your methodology so our listeners understand how you did the study? Absolutely. You know, this this study is actually born from some work that our teams began back in 2019, um, a study called Shades of Us, Race, Identity, and the American Family. And within the context of that study, we spoke with over 15,000 kids and families around wow. the country. Uh, it was really, really incredible, Todd. We had an opportunity to more deeply understand self-identity, their perceptions of others, and the ideas of representation and how uh, they were seeing themselves show up in the context of media. But I think one of the things that was most striking about this research is we understood the different times and context around families of different racial and ethnic backgrounds having the talk about race and racism with their children. And that for us is something we wanted to dive more deeply into to better understand the nuances around mm -hmm. when those conversations take place, what those conversations sound like, and how people feel while having them. Yeah. And it was really funny. We were like, you know, should we ask parents to just pretend they're having the conversation with their child? <laughs> like, how do we really find out what these conversations sound like? And uh, an amazing uh, team member of ours uh, made the suggestion to, you know, why don't we just actually be a fly in the wall and give them a, a prompt to discuss and respond to? And we can listen in um, to hear how these conversations go. And and so it was a really innovative methodology in that sense. And it was extremely moving. Um, it, this is truly the most impactful research and uh, meaningful research that Mikita and I have ever uh, been a part of. And it's been ongoing now for, for multiple years. But uh, what we did is we, you know, we gave them these short stories. Um, some were very explicit situations of racism. Um, some were more implicit such as being excluded from a birthday party because of uh, the color of your skin, which is very similar to the the podcast episode that yeah. the kids just experienced with um, the puckles. And, uh, it, you know, we these were kids, um, parents and kids from, we did a variety of ages, um, ultimately from age three to uh, 12. But it was really, you know, moving to hear them have these conversations in real time and the parents just felt confused about how to go about having these conversations and that was the big you know it was an aha moment for me because you know as a white mom I knew that I was confused I knew that a lot of my you know white uh, friends were confused about how to have these conversations but the conversation was equally difficult for uh, black parents because the conversation is 10 times harder 100 times harder because they're the ones experiencing the racism. Um, and then when they rated how, you know, prepared they felt to have these conversations, both Black and white families rated feeling, you know, an average of 2.4 to 5. as They felt the same level of unprepared as each other. And that was really interesting. Wow. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, what stood out in the study? It sounds like <laughs> that's a big one. Um, you know, today we talked with uh, four little kids with big hearts. Uh, Makita, you became the uh, first grown-up other than myself to travel to the <laughs> land of Kugalakas. I'm wondering if anything you heard the kids say uh, surprised you or if what the kids were saying today was consistent with what you heard from the thousands of children across the country and your research. 
Well, you know, it, it was such an interesting conversation. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for allowing me to join you and travel to the land of Pukalakas. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you got journey. some gummy bears. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> um, it, was, it was such a fascinating experience. And to hear the kids talk so openly and honestly about who they are, the things that they've experienced themselves and or seen their friends experience was very enlightening. And I think the piece that particularly struck me as it relates to the research is that so many of these conversations and context around these experiences occur at school. And that's Uh consistent with what we found in our research. We asked kids where they hear stereotypes, and it turned out that school was the number one place they hear stereotypes. Number two was in movies and on TV. Uh-huh. So, you know, you think about where kids are spending the majority of their time in a school setting. We think about the amount of media consumption that is happening with kids today. And I think it offers, it underscores the immense opportunity and responsibility we have as educators and also as media creators to actively work toward creating positive images that move us to more, toward a more equitable society. Well, that's what I love about the guide because it's not just for families; it is for educators. Um, yes, yeah, that's uh, and as an educator myself, and uh, having to um, have these conversations uh, in the classroom, um, I've I've found uh, what I've read up the guide so far to be really helpful. Uh, were you going to add anything to that, Colleen? Oh, well, just I I think it's so interesting how uh, you know. Kids this age are noticing exclusion. They are noticing things happening or experiencing it themselves, as as we heard on the podcast. But they don't necessarily have the words for it, and and that's part of what we want kids to be able to have because we can't. Um, sadly, we can't just wave a magic wand and make racism go away. Like that's our long term goal as a society uh, to to end racism, but. As we get to achieving that goal, we also have to give our kids the tools to be able to understand what's happening around them, to also be able to better, you know, explain it to a trusted adult what's happening, uh, both if it's happening to themselves or if it's happening to a friend at school. Uh, and so, you know, giving them the the words and the background knowledge is is a first step in, you know, helping kids become uh, upstanders for people around them and for themselves. Yeah. Well, as you know, my kids that I teach are three and I hear them talking about race and making observations, uh, about the world around them. And, um, I feel lucky that I live in a place like New York city, uh, which, uh, has many different kinds of people that live in the city. And, and even just on the subway, I hear, uh, younger and older kids talking about race and ethnicity. When do parents tend to start having these conversations about race with their kids? And, um, and when do you think you, you've said it, but when, when do you think parents are, are, are there children that are too young to have these conversations? I think it's such a great question, Todd. And we found in the work that we've been doing that a significant number of parents are having conversations with their kids by the time they enter kindergarten. That being said, it often occurs more in households with kids of color. And uh, those conversations are often bred out of necessity. Colleen, do you want to add anything to that? Well, you know, it's really interesting in our research, uh, when we gave them these scenarios, uh, we labeled them as racist scenarios. 
But we did an analysis of all the language that was used in the conversations a parent and child had. And the white families were uh, the ones who were more likely to, you know, refer to the situation as rude, mean, or not nice, rather than calling them racist. The Black families in the study had no problem calling it racist. Uh, they were twice as likely to uh, to do so. And so it's just, it's really important because, you know, a lot of times we think these conversations just need to be had in, in with families of color, the ones experiencing it. But the onus is on white families as well to have these conversations. And white teachers. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times parents think... Uh, conversations about race and racism have to be hard and heavy. And I think sometimes uh, they avoid the conversations because they're afraid that they might mess up or uh, say the wrong thing. Did you hear that from parents? Is that uh, part of what you heard during your research? We certainly did. We certainly did. Parents want to get it right. And um, sometimes the desire to not mess up can lead to an um avoidance of the conversation. We certainly heard that from some parents. But I think, you know, one of the one of the realities that we all have to be mindful of is that we don't always get a chance to dictate when those conversations might come up. You know, I, I can share, you know, personal experience. I wasn't the one who initiated the conversation about race with my kids. It was because they had an experience and came home and then I had to talk about it and uh-huh. you know so there are times where I, I wasn't like sitting down at the kitchen table and saying okay well let's talk about it here there it can catch you off guard <laughs> it, it can really catch you off guard I remember a time where my son came home and uh, we were driving and he was in the back seat and in tears because of an experience he had at school and asking me why did you make me this color you know uh-huh. and it took everything in me to hold back my tears because I needed to have clear vision to drive. But at the same time, I'm feeling the hurt from, from his pain based on this experience he had at school. And we had to have that real conversation in real time at that moment. And one of the things that I appreciate about this guide, not only as a media research professional, but as a mom is that it does provide a resource, um, a meaningful tool as Colleen was saying, Parents, parents were saying to us, these are not easy conversations to have and having a support mechanism to help prepare you in what to say when that time arises is, is certainly helpful and something that I'm especially proud to be a part of. And something that stood out to me in the research, because not only did we listen to the parents and kids have these conversations, we then had a one-on-one conversation with the parent and it was really fascinating to hear, you know, these parents, uh, I, you know, we, we always match the race, the moderator, the race, the parents. So I was speaking with white parents from all around the country. Uh-huh. And, you know, this is a topic that can be very sensitive and, and uh, put, people could put up a lot of barriers and think, you know, I think a lot of times white uh, families think they're or white people think they're being uh, judged based on how they approach this, you know, and they get very defensive. And so it was fascinating just to have this relaxed, non-judgmental conversation with people who hold very different views to myself. Um, you know, people who uh, didn't think white privilege exists. You know, but through a conversation, a non-judgmental conversation, 
this one white mom in particular was able to actually see, understand that, you know, white privilege does exist and she does have white privilege. And it doesn't mean that she got everything handed to her easily because she had other things that were difficult, such as, you know, growing up uh, with not, not a lot of money. Um, but that doesn't mean that she still, that, that she does still, she has white privilege. She can go into a store and not be worried about a security guard following her around because of the color of her skin, which is a scenario that we had. And that was a light bulb moment for her. Um, and that these parents also, like you said, Todd, the white, these white parents think they're protecting their children. They think they're protecting their innocence. Um, and they also don't want to, we had parents say things like, oh, I don't want to plant a seed or make them be no, looking out for something more than they should be. And they want to go about it the right way because they have good intentions, because they don't want to raise racist children, right? So they, it's coming from good a good heart. But the great thing is you can have a guide like this that shows you how to walk through it in age-appropriate ways for young children. That really starts with celebrating differences. Um, because another thing these white par parents would often say is, we don't see color. And they think that by saying something like, we don't see color, that that shows that they're being, you know, anti-racist. But actually, what that's doing is ignoring a major part of someone's identity rather than celebrating it. So I think they just need to, you know, once they realized that, they were like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I've been doing that. And that makes a lot of sense. But they've never had someone sit down and talk about this in a way that they don't feel judged um, and they don't feel that they're being shamed. And uh, they just realize, oh, that's another way to approach it. Well, you both have mentioned it. You know, the research wasn't the end. It led to this, cre the creation of a practical action-oriented guide. And uh, you've told us a little bit about the guide. I, I would be interested to know how uh, you hope parents use the guide with their children. I hope that parents use this guide as a conversation piece that inspires discussion around differences but really honing in on the fact that we're all unique and we are all worthy of being valued. I, mean, I think one of, one of the great things about this guide is that it is visually compelling. It presents scenarios in a non-judgmental, age-appropriate manner. It provides questions that spark conversation and it introduces celebration in the context of differences that we all have in some some form or fashion, but um, really un helping parents and kids understand that, yes, we are not all the same, but that's what makes our society and this world even better, you know? Just um, going back to what Colleen was saying about celebrations, I think there are so many rich opportunities to celebrate culture with kids. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like a, that talk about that kitchen table moment, you know, celebrating culture and differences can happen every day of our, of our lives in the most perhaps um, mundane places. You know, there, there's so many opportunities to see things and experience things that bridge us. And I think taking kids to museums, going to different restaurants, um, experiencing different holidays and celebrations that you might not have grown up with, but have an opportunity to be exposed to now are all great ways to help kids celebrate and understand 
the differences that unite us. That's definitely something that I got from looking at the guide. Um, it was celebratory, celebrating the differences, the kind of prompts that are in the guide. Um, I thought, well, exactly what you're saying. Um, and the visuals of the guide. You know, it's not just, uh, it's, it's very, um, like we said, like action oriented. Um, and I think that that's what we're looking for as um, I'm, not personally a parent, I'm a godfather, uh, but <laughs> parents and uh, adults and educators are looking for ways that, for something that feels actionable. Um, and I really think that um, this guide provides that. Uh, <clears throat> as a teacher, I have to ask, uh, how can teachers use the guide to have conversations with their students? And, and how can we begin to uh, start uh, building connections with families on this topic? Well, we have uh, a, a version of this created for teachers, and uh, but I also think it's terrific for teachers to encourage the families to use this at home because we often hear, you know, families say, parents say, like, we want to be the ones who introduce this to our kids, um, and they think that by putting this off, putting the conversation off, that they can just choose to have their kid first learn about race and racism from them at a later date. But the reality check is that's not going to happen. They will be exposed to race and racism. And as a parent, you should want to make sure that when they are exposed to it, it's in a way that is a positive way, in a way that's celebrating others and, and not in a negative way. And what was really surprising with the younger kids, the you know threes and the four-year-olds that we did this research with, is as parents would... Uh, do this, do these activities with them and ask the questions, parents were often surprised by what their kids would say. Like, we have a playground activity and we would say, you know, um, the, the parent would ask, you know, which of these kids would you want to play with? And uh -huh. oftentimes kids would pick the kid that looked like them. Yeah. And that's a very normal thing. As a child development expected thing for kids to do is to to gravitate towards people who look like them. And so it's our jobs as parents and caregivers and as teachers to make sure that we are doing everything we can to uh, make sure that we are giving them the tools and information to counteract that natural bias that they're going to have. And this won't always happen um, at home. And so I think the more that teachers can approach us from a social and emotional learning way, about a way that they can uh, celebrate differences and also look for our shared similarities, including emotions and feelings, things that are we don't see, but so we often don't think about being similar about. Um, it is really important. I have just a couple more questions. Uh, what do you hope the impact will be? This research will inspire people to counteract racism, bias, stereotypes, and all forms of hate, and ultimately help all people value all people. Well, what's next? Uh, what big questions do you still have in this area? I mean, there's still <laughs> racism is still a huge problem in our society. So I don't think we'll stop doing this research uh -huh. until it's not a problem anymore. Um, and that means we'll be doing this for uh, quite some time because we have a long ways to go. Uh, but we do feel continually hopeful uh, from the kids that we're talking to all the time. Um, and we're really fascinated to see, you know, 
this whole idea, the, la- the la- past few years have really brought these topics to light in a whole new way. There's been a whole new emphasis around talking to kids about race and racism. So I can't wait to see what the kids who have grown up having more of these conversations, what they'll be like in a few years. And we will keep talking to them. We'll, we will we'll find out to see uh, what is the impact. And, you know, we will continually as a society adjust to figuring out the best ways to approach this. Right now, these are all uh, this guide is research based, both our you know original research and research out there in the field about the best ways to approach this. But we will keep learning and refining the methods uh, until we figure out the best way to approach it. I also think that the more we could become a you know multicultural uh, world and country um, is also is helping. You know, we, there are so many more kids who are um, identify as you know multiple races, uh, a growing Hispanic population um, of kids in the United States. So as we become more multicultural of a country, I also think that some of these problems um, will just will start to drift away. To be honest, because it's you know for the first time majority minority okay Todd Todd, can I just add to that too because I think one of the things that we're aiming to do with this guide is just really reflect the broader commitment to social and emotional health and well-being right the power of empathy um, that that's one of that's one of the superpowers that we all share Um, thinking about the humanity that resides in all of us and how we show up the fact that everyone, regardless of background, deserves to be seen, heard, and valued is something that we want to continue to amplify. That does uh, making me cry a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a crier. Uh, thank you for saying that. Um, that that uh, really hit me, and uh, I think that's um, very meaningful. Uh, last question I have is, uh, where can parents and educators uh, find this guide? There's an interactive website at bigheartworld.org slash discussing race. And we are so thankful to Sparkler Learning, uh, producer of this podcast, for also p- publishing this guide and being such an incredible partner on this, on this um, as well as uh, Nick Jr.'s Noggin, uh, which is an incredible app that encourages social emotional learning and more for young kids. They've been an, a terrific partner on this research and this guide and getting it out to families. Well, thank you both for taking this time uh, to stay on and to to talk about the important work that you've done and um, and working with us on the episode that we uh, did with our four little kids with big hearts. It's been really great to work with you and um, and I look forward to uh, getting to you know get together again. Thank you so much, Todd. And that episode with the kids is incredible. They give us hope for a brighter future. Thank you, Todd. Thank you. Thank you very much. What moving perspectives on how children and parents perceive identity, race, and racism, and how, together, we can start to raise a generation of kids who are ready to talk openly about identity and belonging, race and racism, and who are ready to stand up for others. I'm so grateful that Makita joined us on our Little Kids Big Hearts episode celebrating our differences, and that she and Colleen stuck around afterward to share this conversation with us. I hope you found it useful and inspiring. I know I did. You can find the research and the discussing race guide they described at bigheartworld.org forward slash discussing race. 
And you can find more about our podcast at playsparkler.org forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening, everyone. And thank you for sharing your big hearts with us.